everyone, welcome back to the 443 Security Simplified. I'm your host, Mark LaLiberty, and joining me today is... Corey, eight function rechargeable bullet knockriner. The heck? We all have eight function rechargeable bullet things from Spencer, right? Ah, okay. I get it now. Yep. Uh, on today's episode, we will be discussing an IoT device that Corey is heavily hinting at, at delivering malware onto people's computers. Uh, before that, though, we'll cover the latest uh, international law enforcement takedown of a major cybercrime organization. And we will end with some new rules and regulations coming down to the maritime industry to help with cybersecurity. With that, let's go ahead and uh, let's sail our way in. Let, let, let's shake our way in. Tactfully avoid. You could say even vi vi vibrate our way in, Mark. <laughs> so uh, last week, there was a, there were a couple of big news stories, I guess. And there was one really big one that came out first where a international effort led by the U.S. and the U.K. primarily uh, successfully disrupted the LockBit ransomware group. Um, so the DOJ, the US DOJ says that LockBit, they've targeted more than 2,000 victims worldwide, taken over $120 million in ransom payments. Um, and as part of the takedowns, the FBI, uh, in partnership with international law enforcement agencies, were able to take over a whole bunch of LockBit's assets, uh, which included decryption keys as well. Uh, and By the way, we 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 love the FBI. Love is a strong word. We like the we like national authorities that are doing something with crimeware. But in this case, I want to say I, I I don't know if you have any insider stuff on this, but my understanding is the NCA led on this, the the nice. UK team. So uh, I, I think in all of these, the Five Eyes are are very cooperative in doing these takedowns together. And since these ransomware I mean, cyber threats affect every country. So you'll often see releases like ones we've participated in the past where maybe the F FBI led with us, but uh, other organizations were involved. But in this one, while I definitely want to give the FBI credit for all the things they did, I feel like the NCI might have led on, or NCA, which is a UK uh, organization, led on this. Not 100% sure. Though. They America don't share first. that detail. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> I won't comment on I'm that. I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah. Uh, either way, uh, so the effort, they were able to gain decryption keys. They gained 200 cryptocurrency accounts related to LockBit. And they overall took over 34 servers spread across Europe, the US, and Australia. Uh, if you went to go visit LockBit's uh, dark web websites. You were greeted with a notice that they had been seized by law enforcement. And my favorite bit, actually, is the FBI uh, and the NCA actually defaced LockBit's affiliate portals. So where LockBit ransomware as a service customers, quote unquote, uh, go to log in to manage their platform. And they added this message. It says, hello, and it inserts their username. Uh, law enforcement has taken control of LockBit's platform and obtained all of the information held on there. This information relates to the LockBit group and you, their affiliate. Uh, we have source code, details of the victims you have attacked, and the amount of money extorted, <laughs> the data stolen, chats, and much, much more. You can thank LockBits up and their flawed infrastructure for the situation. Uh, we may be in touch with you very soon. If you would like to contact us directly, please get in touch. And they had a contact link. In the meantime, we encourage you to visit the LockBit leak site. Have a nice day. Regards, the <laughs> National Crime Agency of the US, the FBI, Europol, 
an Operation Kronos Law Enforcement NCA. Task Force. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, one of the things you notice, I don't know, is getting enough headlines, but you can, if you're on the YouTube version, you can see the video here. Notice with ransomware authors, the quote unquote malicious agreement is pay the ransom and we'll delete your data and you'll be fine. But notice in that big thing that they defaced their website with, they also mentioned we have the data you took. And it turns out that the data was still there for past victims, maybe some who have actually paid. So if you ever wonder if these criminals that are stealing your data that you're paying ransomware are actually good guys and will actually remove your data and not extort you again, well, apparently, according to the NCA, the people that got these servers, your data is still there. They did not delete it. So just something to think about when you think about paying ransom. I am, for one, so massively shocked at that revelation. Yeah, I know. Who would have thought that you couldn't trust them? <laughs> My God. Uh, if you were a, a LockBit victim, by the way, uh, so the FBI and the NCA were able to get the decryption keys, and they even spun up uh, lockbitvictims.ic3.gov. Uh, where you can reach out to the FBI and potentially gain access to a key to decrypt all of your data. Um, so after the takedown, that wasn't the end of the news. In fact, this operation is still apparently ongoing. Uh, they just uh, also announced they at least three affiliates were arrested in Poland and the Ukraine as part of a international takedown. It was like a father-son duo in the Ukraine and a single dude in Poland um, that were LockBit affiliates in this case. When it comes to LockBit leadership, uh, the U.S. Department of Justice is now offering a $15 million cash reward for information leading to the arrest or conviction of anyone participating in the LockBit group um, or information leading to the identification or location of the leaders of the group. Um, they have already unsealed some indictments against two LockBit members. Uh, there was two Russian nationals, uh, Artur Sungatov and Ivan Kondratyev. Oh, I butchered it, but I don't care. They suck. Um, <laughs> The second one is possibly more infamously known by their hacker handle, uh, Basterlord. Um, so the story isn't even entirely over. So there's a popular uh, kind of intermediary between the white hat, gray hat world and the underground. Um, they go by the persona VX Underground on uh, the site formerly known as Twitter. And they claim they've even been in contact with some of the folks at Lockbit. Um, they said that uh, Lockbit's claiming that Really, the FBI only compromised servers that were running PHP um, and that uh, they're arresting uh, innocent people. They claim that uh, the rest of their infrastructure is basically unharmed and they'll be back in uh, back online in a relatively short order. Uh, so either way, though, like it's another one of those. It's technically a disruption campaign. You know, they'll be out of commission for a little bit. I think the big part of this, though, is this has to have the affiliates a bit spooked hopefully. And I think that's one good way to slow down ransomware. What are your thoughts? I, yeah, definitely spooking that. I mean, I, I think they trolled them very well with that deface, as you pointed out, and that would scare the heck out of me if I were a criminal actor that had been using that framework to, to steal money. I also think that yeah, there's already stories which we will partially agree with that this disruption doesn't make all the criminals go away. They will rebuild somewhere else. But they got like 200 crypto wallets. They, I, I think whether or not they're able to arrest every single one of these bad guys, 
they took their wallets, many of their wallets, as long as they're getting some of the wallets of the big people, like this big guy that I'm not even, it's not worth remembering his name or alias because he's a horrible, crappy person, but he, he's already like threatening to rebuild and everything will be fine. I don't care. Just take more of his money. And that I think the FBI realizes in these international cases, especially when a lot of these folks use safe havens for cybercrime like Russia to hide from extradition, taking all their money is a good way to kind of screw them and maybe make them think twice. I mean, I'd rather them be in jail, but if you're at least getting to their money, even if they can rebuild, you're, you're just making it much harder for them to continue actually profiting from this kind of crappiness. And if you aren't in a safe haven, like it's clear that you are up for grabs for arrest, like going after folks in Poland and Ukraine for this. Uh, it is good to see us catching criminals and hopefully holding them accountable for their actions. Uh, but I think, like you said, even if this does temporarily disrupt Lockbit, I don't expect them to fully go away. Um, but it will hopefully put at least a little damper on uh, the uptick because it's been a, one of the most, if not the this most is prolific, the prolific. Yeah. yeah, this was big. It got children's, it's got hospitals, it got it got millions from many people. I mean, you said the number 120 million. I, I, I'm sure uh, Ryan, our, one of our, our team's ransomware primary malware analysts could tell you how much Lockbit was all over our, our endpoint detections. Uh, and his research. So uh, it, it's great news. Even if some of them do sneak away and rebuild, I think you've actually put a big bruise on their organization. Yep. And remember, kids, crime doesn't pay unless you live in Russia, in which case, whatever. <laughs> uh, and it, crime doesn't pay, at least in, not after the authorities seize your online cryptocurrency wallets. Yep. Uh, so anyways, moving on, Corey, I've got a fun story for you for this next one. Um, so why, why for a, me, don't place this okay, on maybe me, not Mark. you specifically, but even if I, I did teams we'll it when I first saw one. it, because <laughs> it's quite interesting. It's not hey, our uh, first. <laughs> so this one started, uh, and I want to preface this by saying, uh, the toothbrush story has me being skeptical over any IOT related incident whatsoever, but it turns out this one's actually got truth as evidence. It. Um, so a Reddit user uh, earlier this last week uh, posted a thread, which has now since been deleted, uh, describing an interesting malware installation vector that they encountered over the weekend. Um, so they said they went to the, uh, the Spencer's store in one of their local malls. If you're not from America, Spencer's is a store that sells all sorts of interesting like punk and niche merchandise. Um, and they, at the store, purchased an adult sex toy. Um, and that toy had a USB port in it to charge its battery. And so they just, you know, just could pull it out of the packaging, plugged it in their computer to charge it. And when they went to open their web browser, a file instantly downloaded without them opening any pages and their endpoint protection, in this case, Malwarebytes, flagged it as malware. Um, so my initial, like, I, I went and got a copy of the malware and confirmed it was like actually malicious they shared the name of it it was pretty easy to find on virus total i think they even shared the url that's how i ended up getting it because it was still live um, but so malwarebytes actually came out and said yeah you know this is actually real uh, they took a look at their telemetry on the back end and they posted a blog post of their analysis of this threat and it's actually pretty interesting once you get past the uh, delivery method even um so 
They uh, confirmed that the malware was actually the infamous info stealer called uh, Lumma. Uh, Lumma operates as a malware as a service model where you know cyber criminals can pay for access to the software and the infrastructure and then deploy it to victims and reap the benefits. Um, it's primarily steals information from like cryptocurrency wallets and also browser extensions and uh, credentials stored within your web browser as well. Um, so for the technical details, um, they said the flash drive hosted a, a series of whole bunch of XML files um, and a MSI, MSI file called uh, Mia Khalifa 18msi uh, the XML files appear to be a XML bomb. It's similar to a zip bomb where it's designed to like crash the web application if it tries to decompress it. They surmise that it's probably to draw attention away from the actual malware. Uh, the installer itself creates a program entry called Outweep Dines, uh, which is actually a link to an installer uh, that gets dropped in the app data directory of the victim's machine. The installer is password protected, but the password is hard coded in that MSI file that gets downloaded. Um, it creates a heavily obfuscated uh, executable uh, that Malwarebytes detect, uh, detects using their trojan.crypt.misl family, which is a generic detection, they said, for any obfuscated Microsoft Intermediate Language or MSIL Trojans. Uh, and then ultimately, it drops a executable uh, that is a combination of the Luma Stealer uh, and a additional .NET DLL library. So the current theory that I've been seeing is uh, researchers believe this was a form of like a USB rubber ducky, basically a fake human interface device, like a keyboard, where when you plug it in, it can act like a human is typing on the keyboard, likely waited until the victim opened a web browser, and then secretly behind the scenes, tricked it into downloading this file that contained the malware. Um, so Corey, like first, talking point here is the we have to talk about the interesting infection vector on this one and i'm beyond the the type of product it is itself like the fact that this was like it was a spencer's brand so a store brand device it's not like some random thing you get off amazon that's like drop shipped from a factory well i'm sure it was made in a factory in china and delivered to them but what i'm getting at is like it felt like it had a little more credibility and the fact that you could plug it in and instantly instantly get malware is like a major like whoa what the heck to me yeah and we talk a lot about digital supply chain issues digital supply chain issues being where maybe software vendors get hacked and their software gets trojanized but this could actually be potential i mean this is where we get into speculation if you're on the video you can see what i'm highlighting that spencer's knows about this malicious vibrator <laughs> whoever knew there'd be malicious vibrators mark <laughs> spencer's knows I've seen about enough defcon talks that you know it's not <laughs> yes, totally out of, the, out of left field there was a butt thing we talked about in the past <laughs> But anyways, it could be a manufacturing supply chain issue for all we know. I mean, the question comes, whoever Spencer sources this from, that company probably makes a lot of USB IoT toys. And did they put something on it? Did one of their employees decide to make extra income by, you know being an insider that infects the supply chain of the, the, and added, this is not simply, you had to add software to make that USB port, not just a charging port, but something that could emulate, I already forgot, was it a human interface device, a keyboard or yep. something, or a storage device? E either way, that takes work in programming on the USB side of things. So it, it could be a supply chain hack. It, I, I do really want to know uh, what's going on there. 
By the way, as a total aside, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. With your I was just hard. going to say, as a total aside, there's a person I follow. If you're watching the video called Lewis Rossman, I think we've both seen. He goes to DefCon every year. He's someone that typically fights for right to repair, and you know, uh, when when the tractors or whatever those big, like kind of John Deere things, wouldn't let you fix things because of software and Apple. He always fights for that. But he found this like the day it was the Reddit post and did a video on it that I think is pretty funny. So uh, check that out if you want to know more. Anyways, what were you saying, Mark? So I've always like, so if I just got a random thumb drive that I found in the parking lot or even one that like randomly showed up on my doorstep uh, as like a drop shipped device, like I wouldn't go plug that in my computer. I understand you don't plug in random stuff you find and especially things you receive unsolicited. If I went to the store and bought like a thumb drive and it was in its original packaging, like I wouldn't necessarily think twice and like plug that into a sandbox first. And yeah. I understand there's a difference between like a thumb drive and like an IOT device like this, but it's, it kind of spooks me that now I'm second guessing. Like if I go buy something, like now I have to go test it before I use it. Well, let's say even IOT device, cause it will get to the practical tip we will give for this. But even if it's not a thumb drive, even if it's something with a charging port, I don't know about you, but sometimes I, I I buy things that need USB charging. And just because I'm sitting at my desk, rather than finding a USB wall wart, I mean, more and more devices are shipping with the freaking USB cable, but they don't give you a wall wart. So many people would just plug these uh, charging only or assumption charging only devices just in a computer without even thinking about it. You know, I might actually think if I bought a, a a thumb drive, even if I bought it at a store, maybe I won't plug it right away and maybe I'll plug it into my sacrificial computer yet. But I would be much more likely if I bought it to store something that I presume is only charging, it feels safe. And this proves that, I mean, USB rubber ducky should have you know, a USB device can be anything, despite what the the package says. So, don't trust it. You can spoof, uh, you know, things that might be only charging. Spoofs they're not only charging. But just like you said, I would not only being bought from the store, but the fact that I don't even expect it to have a data connection. You might think, why plug it into a computer? Well, it just happens to be a convenient source for me to charge because I open things at my desk. So I'm with you. It it, it is something you need to think about. I think that gets yep. to, to the practical tip, by the way, if you d buy devices that are that are not meant to hook to computers and share pictures or media or data, don't plug them into computers at all. If the only point of that USB plug is presumably charging, use a freaking wall wart. The wall wart will become your USB condom, because if you plug it into a, you know, something that goes straight into the wall, you, you don't have to worry about the data component of it. Uh, USB condom, if you're not familiar with the exciting new term. There's real ones, um, so, too. <laughs> exactly. USB ports, they're made up of two like power lines and two data lines. And a USB condom basically accepts anything to plug into it, but the data lines are disconnected. And so only the power lines make their way through it, meaning you can plug in something theoretically and charge it without any risk of data having a possibility of being transmitted. Um, that is like, if you are going to plug something in, maybe it is handy to have a couple of those floating around just in case your U your laptop's USB port is the closest thing you have to charge your new purchase from the uh, Spencer's mall. But either way, like my initial assumption with this was it had to be BS. 
but like Malwarebytes coming out and saying, you know what, it's actually true, was a, a pleasant surprise from a research perspective for me. Um, so it was uh, interesting, very, very interesting. Um, so let's move on to the final story. Uh, Corey, time to put on your pirate hat. Uh, so President Biden just signed a executive order yesterday with the Arr. aim of bolstering our maritime port security. And not the uh, the security of defending us against actual pirates of the seven seas, but specifically cybersecurity. Um, so the EO was titled Executive Order on Amending Regulations Relating to the Safeguarding of Vessels, Harbors, Ports, and Waterfront Facilities in the U.S., which is a bit of a mouthful. Um, but basically, at a high level, it amends existing maritime rules to give the Coast Guard the authority to respond to malicious cyber activity by both requiring maritime transportation vessels, facilities, and whatever improve their cybersecurity practices, as well as instituting mandatory cyber incident reporting. So it boils down to, uh, now with this rule change, the Coast Guard has the authority to inspect and prevent, uh, quote, any article or thing, including any data information network program system or other digital infrastructure uh, from moving on or off a ship or into or out of a facility in a controlled port. Um, it also implements mandatory reporting, which this one was interesting. I'm going to read the bit from the uh, executive order uh, on the whole here. So mandatory reporting when, quote, evidence of sabotage, subversive activity, or an actual or threatened cyber incident involving or endangering any vessel, harbor, port, or waterfront facility, including any data information, network program system, or digital infrastructure therein uh, or thereon shall be reported immediately to the Federal Bureau of Investigation, the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, um, and the captain of the port or the representative, captain of the port being the head of the Coast Guard station in that area. The one that stood out to me here was the word immediately. Like even in other areas with cyber reporting, it's usually when you've discovered a material event sometime within 48 hours or 24 hours on the quickest, putting this in like actual rules writing saying you need to immediately notify the FBI or CSA. I like it on the face of it, but that does become, I feel like a little bit difficult to comply with. And I don't know. What are your thoughts on that one, Corey? Like mandatory immediate disclosure of an incident. Maybe it makes sense in critical infrastructure, but I don't know. I, I think maybe maritime is the specific part here, Mark, because think about the big what do we so container vessels that come into ports every day like i you're right as a business if you're just a normal business at a location you need time to investigate to figure out if it really is an incident and you'd want a little time before reporting but i think in this case the immediate probably is let's say there's an incident that's discovered on a big vessel that's literally arriving at port or has arrived at port you have limited time before they unload that crap and send it off. So I, I this is pure speculation on my part, Mark. I don't know this for sure, but I, I, I presume that like the the maritime vessel reporting this probably isn't the one that did anything like has some bad cyber stuff loaded up on a, a thing. But there's a chance that whoever they're shipping that for actually wants it immediately when the port comes in, and it might start to ship off somewhere. So maybe the immediate is so that the authorities have time to come and intercept things before 
you know, they're moved from to ship off. But that's pure speculation. I agree. It's, it's going to be very hard to do this. But if there is an excuse for why you might have to do this in a, a maritime situation, I assume it's like most of the ships we're talking about here bring in lots of stuff and that stuff goes off really quickly. And I'm that idiot that's ordering crap from Temu and I want my stuff to come in just a week and a half from China instead of four weeks. So I'll be irritated if they don't get it off the boat. quick. By the way, I don't order crap from Temu. Be very careful. I'm just pointing out really? that, you know, people even after want all those Super Bowl commercials. <laughs> I didn't even watch the Super Bowl. Do you what? lose? I didn't even watch the halftime show or the commercials this year. Oh man, that's I. Uh, I hear the it was a good game. Top notch this year. Yeah, I I, it was. It was an interesting was game. Yeah. Anyways, not a sports. Talk, there may be nothing so, wrong with Temu, but the point is, it might just be if you have to. If something's going to leave the ship, they might want to catch it before. And the way this is written, by the way, it's also to cover the like digital infrastructure that our ports and facilities there manage as well too. Um, so basically, you know, you have to imagine there's a lot of electronics record keeping that goes on with maritime transportation. Uh, they sure. need to exchange manifests, things like that. And while I'm sure there's still a lot of like physical paper that changes hands, I I would hope that, I mean, we're in the 21st century. They use a lot of digital records <laughs> as well, too. Um, and I imagine that like that is a major focus of, of this as well. You could imagine a... You know, container ship coming in from our best friends at China, where maybe the container ship's probably fine, but you know, maybe agents in China or something implanted something in there that then makes its way into a, a network owned by the the maritime facility that ultimately leads to a compromise that causes disruption of that facility when China decides yeah, yeah. they don't want to be friends anymore. Like that's the situation I'm painting in my head that they're trying to protect against here. That makes sense. Yeah. So I would I had uh, hope the government always when they're thinking about when to report, they're considerate of the type of business and the realities of needing time to investigate and figure things out first. But hopefully we've met a few folks in the right places and they, they do tend to think about these things. So maybe there really is a reason for the immediate in the, the, the Maritimes case and even in the financial case, the financial reporting for what was it, the SEC was like 40, it was much quicker yep. than the month you're allowed in a business. And that makes sense too, because financial transactions happen at the speed of light. So uh, as long as they're thinking about it and realizing that businesses are human, they need to discover and investigate and they don't want to jump the gun. Uh, uh, I, I, I can trust them in their timing until they prove otherwise. And I'm sure the maritime organizations will complain if it actually is too to uh what's the word i'm looking for too difficult too to quick for them there yeah. we go um so there's another little interesting tidbit in here that kind of points back to that white house national Cybersecurity strategy that came out in march of last year where one of the like within one of the pillars in that strategy document um the white house was discussing how you know we need to find ways to help uh, not just like mandate down laws that, you know, you need to have mandatory security practices. Like they explicitly listed out in that strategy that they understand that a lot of these places that are critical infrastructure are running on shoestring budgets and they don't necessarily have the money to comply with some of these regulations that come down. And so this executive order actually has a bit that helps out with that. Um, so they're actually pledging $20 billion in funding to help ports comply with the the rules that end up materializing out of this, which is nice. Like, I, I like that they're trying to address an issue and that they're not just saying, okay, do it. And they're actually providing a little bit of 
funding some of that carrot to help comply with it. Um, now, the Coast Guard did publish a 230-page document as their notice of proposed rulemaking around establishing like minimum cybersecurity standards for the maritime industry. I have to admit, I've not read the 230-page document because <laughs> I am not that bored. I will follow um, you along and read a 50-page cybersecurity regulation document, but I agree. I, I would not spend the time to read a 200-page maritime-related document. Yeah, especially because like almost there's a actually, short book. It's a very long book and a very dry book because the executive order covered a little bit more than just cybersecurity. There was stuff about like fire suppression system requirements in there too. And I cannot be bothered to sift through all of that to get the meat and bones. So I will either ask ChatGPT to summarize it maybe or uh, wait until someone else does and then we can discuss the uh, cybersecurity components of it. But either way, so this is... Like Corey, another step that we've seen now of addressing a specific weakness in our critical infrastructure here in the States. And it does look like the White House is putting into action some of their um, plans, some of their proposals that they had in that national cybersecurity strategy of addressing certain areas. Like we saw power infrastructure um, slowly start to be addressed, water uh, infrastructure being addressed, transportation now as well. Like it's it's nice to see not just the hey, here's what we want to do, uh, but also the the action that comes out of it, including rules and funding to help comply with those rules. Uh, so who knows? Maybe at some point here in the future, our critical infrastructure in the U.S. won't be a giant block of Swiss cheese that's melting. Yeah, I wonder if Canada. We never talked about it, I don't think, but uh, Colonial Pipeline. Remember that old infrastructure hack in the US. Apparently there was a pipeline cyber attack in Canada recently too. So I love that. Yes, I agree with you. I mean, uh, uh, we like the White House focusing on cybersecurity the way they have, and they seem to actually be putting it in action, not just releasing the big strategy doc, but anytime you can add incentives or help, because I think even vendors, private vendors want to do the right thing. But the reality is good security costs more money uh, which sometimes, you know, if you don't have help with that, that transfers to the customers uh, or loss in profit. So if in, I know Maritime might be not private organizations, but being able to kind of fund or give benefits if you, you do the right thing or follow things in the same way they do for education with the Child Information Protection Act, you know, follow these rules to protect kids and you get a little funding. That's a good way to make sure companies actually do do some of these best practices that you're asking them to. Yeah, agreed. I'm interested in seeing what else comes next. And I think the next area we'll probably be chatting about it will be over in Europe as we're only months away from some of the rules for NIS2 probably manifesting and coming out with their attempts to address cybersecurity concerns and their critical infrastructure. It's It's interesting seeing globally all of our major countries start to really take notice and address some of these pretty gaping concerns we have with uh, critical infrastructure. But uh, man, if you're in the shipping industry, hey, you've got some new rules coming down and hopefully a little bit of money to make it a bit more palatable. Um, and if you don't care about security, then yar. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. As always, if you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to rate, review and subscribe. If you have any questions on today's topics or suggestions for future episode topics, you can reach out to us on Instagram at watchguard underscore technologies. 
Thanks again for listening, and you will hear from us next week. Cool. Catch me on Insta. (laughs) Ha, 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 ha.